Hey everybody, welcome to Audible Astronauts. I'm your host, Isaiah May, and today we're going to be exploring some really interesting ideas and concepts. Specifically, we're going to be going into the realm of science, which is my absolute favorite subject in anything, because as it turns out, I'm a really big nerd, and you know, maybe by the end of this, maybe you'll be one too. I don't know, Remains yet remains to be seen, but we shall see it. Despite you not being able to see me and me see you. Uh, you know, I, I mean, in that third eye, I'm going to see you. <laughs> Anyways, though. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about science and also apologetics. And apologetics is really near and dear to my mind and down to my heart. Because I love learning about ways to defend the faith. And so, for those who don't know what apolog apologetics are, though. Sorry about that. <laughs> little tongue-tied there. But for those who don't know what apologetics are, it's really just the religious discipline of defending religious doctrines through systemic argumentation and discourse. So, you know, you see those debates, you know, William Lane Craig versus Hitchens, you know, and you, you see these debates between people and, you know, that's, that's really apologetics right there. But today I'm going to be delivering some apologetic arguments, but obviously I have no opponent. There's no one here. I'm talking to a microphone. I mean, and unless I looked at this microphone and got all cross-eyed and started thinking really negative thoughts about him, I don't think he's going to be my opponent today. So instead, I'm just going to be, you know, reading some things to you and telling you some things that might spark your interest. And that way you can go look them up for yourself and go see how amazing these things are. So what are we going to start with? Let's see. We're going to start with understanding the argument that I'm going to make. The argument that I'm trying to make here is that the belief in the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, I believe that that is the one true God. There's no other God that can match him. There's no other God, period. That's my belief. I am a monotheist. I believe in one singular God that created the world and therefore has a personal relationship with each and every person in it. And so that being said, we're going to be talking about a couple religions that focus more on either polytheism or a look on the world that means that there is no God and that technically we all are gods and that we are all, I guess, in ourselves gods. And so the three religious ideologies we're going to be looking at today are Hinduism to start with, then we're going to go to Buddhism, and then we're going to go to modern day spirituality, you know, crystals and everyone, crystals and all. <laughs> and so, so what we're going to do is we're going to start by defining my argument as to why I think believing in the monotheistic God of the Bible is different and unique in the sense of the fact that it is true as opposed to other religions. Because you hear that question a lot. Oh, well, if you believe in the Bible, there are so many religions out there. So how do I know what's true? How do I know what's real? <laughs> well, today we're going to get into that. And I love that. It's going to be fun. So guys, just strap your helmets on. It's going to be cool. So... Why am I convinced that monotheist, the monotheistic God of Israel is true? 
as opposed to Hinduism, Buddhism, or spirituality? Well, quite simply, I'm convinced because of a single three-letter term found in science, and that is, well, darn, <laughs> it's not three letters, I lied, but anyways, it's the heat death of the universe, which I guess you could say it's three if you don't count the the, but it's the heat death of the universe. That is the big one. And so what is the heat death of the universe? Well, to define it, the heat death of the universe is when the universe has reached a state of maximum entropy. Now, what is maximum entropy? Maximum entropy can be defined most simply as the spreading out or distribution of energy until all the energy is spread out equally amongst the entire universe and we hit a state where there is no longer any energy to clump together in order for anything to function. Now, this happens when all available energy, such as from a hot source, has been moved to places of less energy, such as a colder source. Once this has happened, no more work can be extracted from the universe. Since heat ceases to flow, no more work can be acquired from the heat transfer. The same kind of equilibrium state can happen with all other forms of energy, mechanical, electrical, etc. So no more work can be extracted from the universe at that point. It is effectively dead, especially for the purposes of humankind. So all that science mumbo jumbo, what does that actually mean? Well, entropy is attributed to the second law of thermodynamics, which again is basically the measure in the most simple way I can put it is the measure not of the chaos in the universe, because that's the definition. If you all just went and looked in your in your in your phone real fast to see what's entropy. Well, the definition that they'll give you is it's the it's the measure of chaos in a system, right? But that that doesn't describe anything. What does that even mean? What it means is it is the measure of the distribution of energy, so to speak. And what I mean by that is that when energy for instance, with the hot and cold example that was used, if you take a hot rod or a hot plate and you stick it to another plate that is really cold, what's going to happen? The heat's going to transfer from the hot plate to the cold plate, and the cold from the cold plate is going to transfer into the hot plate. And therefore, after a long enough period of time, they're going to be the same temperature because they will have taken or distributed the energy from each other and therefore have reached a state of equilibrium and that equilibrium is what we call maximum entropy that's when there's no more energy to give and so if there's no more energy to give then that system is done it is what it is it's it's reached a level of maximum entropy now the way that this works in a larger sense for example, is that the entropy of the universe is, it's so vast that the universe is expanding because it's just getting larger. It started from a very, very small point and then a big bang. And when that bang happened, it started expanding outward slowly and it's actually speeding up due to dark energy. But the thing is, is that that entropy, like with the sun, for example, is causing it to use up more and more resources. So like, for example, in uh, however many billion or trillion years from now, 
when we reach maximum entropy, what that's going to look like is the sun is going to, the sun amongst other stars is going to be looking for more fuel to fuel in. But all the fuel will have already been distributed somewhere else. Then there's no more fuel. There's nothing else to fuel the sun. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to fuel any of the stars. That's it. And so what happens when there's nothing to fuel it? Well, that's what happens when it collapses on itself and it creates a black hole, which is really cool. Except for the fact that if all the stars turn into black holes, then we're just going to be in a black hole filled universe that ultimately is swallowed up by a giant black hole. And that giant black hole is going to eventually... I don't know how to put this, but kill everybody and everything that ever existed in the entire universe, which again is a closed system. So we're basically living in a big death box, which is not very comforting, but don't worry. By the end of this, you will feel comforted, hopefully. But back to the hand, back to, back to the matter at hand. <laughs> uh, so when all that takes place, all those black holes happen. Eventually, I didn't know this until recently, but over time, black holes actually dissipate. And when they dissipate, they just leave behind a state in which the temperature around it is all the same degrees. It's all the same temperature. And you reach what, again, we call maximum entropy, where all the temperature is the same and there's no energy to divert anywhere. It's all just in stasis it's just resting there can't be used it's spent and so the universe will be in a spent state of nothingness which is very depressing hopefully that never happens right so what does all that have to do with hinduism buddhism and spirituality right well i will tell you because if you look at what they consider heaven that's where problems start to arise. So in, you know, the Christian faith or the Bible-believing faith, heaven is going to be a place in which God comes to earth and resides there with his people, creating a new heavens and a new earth. Heavens being celestial bodies and things of such nature. And of course, a new us and a new earth. It's going to be dope, right? But what does heaven mean for some other polytheistic, religions, or at least the more popular ones, which is why it shows Hinduism and Buddhism and spirituality, because they're some of the more popular ones. Now, we're going to start with Hinduism, and we're going to start reading a little bit, and again, I'm going to butcher this name because I can't pronounce anything worth a darn, but just, just bear with me. It's from Ramakrishna.org. Yes, I think I got it, but I'm sure somebody out there is going to be like, oh, you messed the name up, which... Not, I'm not from India, so I, I, I don't know. Anyways, it says Hinduism, or at least the idea of heaven in Hinduism, is a bit difficult to describe because there are quite a few different schools of Hinduism. But we'll go with a basic understanding for now so we can grasp the general idea. From the viewpoint of Hinduism, heaven and hell are merely different worlds, bound by time, space, and causality. According to Hinduism, desires are responsible for a person's embodiment. Some of these desires can be best fulfilled in a human body, and some in an animal or a celestial body. According, accordingly, 
a soul assumes a body determined by its unfulfilled desires and the result of its past actions. An animal or celestial body is for reaping the results of past karma, not for performing actions to acquire a new body. Performance of karma to affect any change of life is possible only in a human body, because only human beings do good or evil consciously. Human birth is therefore a great privilege, for in a human body alone can one attain the supreme goal of life. Thus, in search of eternal happiness and immortality, the apparent soul is born again, and again, and again, and again in different bodies, only to discover in the end that immortality can never be attained through fulfillment of desires. The soul then practices discrimination between the real and unreal, attains desirelessness, and finally realizes its immortal nature. Affirming this fact, the Kapha Unpanishad, oh dear, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry to anybody who I screwed that up to, affirms, when all the desires that dwell in the heart fall away, then the mortal becomes immortal, and here attains Brahman. So, what the heck's Brahman? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I wanted to know when I was doing my research here. So I went to the most credible and, of course, the best source that you should go to in most situations, which is the Britannica. According to Britannica, Brahman contains in itself both being and non-being, and it is the sole reality, the ultimate cause, foundation, source, and goal of all existence. As the all, Brahman either causes the universe and... All beings to emanate from itself, transforms itself into the universe, or assumes the appearance of the universe. Brahman is in all things and is the self, the Atman, of all living beings. Brahman is the creator, preserver, or transformer, and reabsorber of everything. All this being said, if this is heaven, the act of achieving Brahman does nothing in order to stop the entropy of the universe. Therefore, the basic common sense would dictate that, and I say this in all loving kindness, it wouldn't make sense to believe in this if you want to call yourself a religious person. Because if, if for instance, you believed in atheism, you would believe that there is no point to anything, there is no ultimate purpose, the only goal to life is to live because this is a random chance occurrence or any other variant. But the point is, is that there is no ultimate purpose. This is just a once a one-time, a one-trick pony. Now, here's the thing, is that if you believe in this type of a religion, or this type of a ideology, that states that you're going to keep being reborn until you achieve a state where you'll basically reach a Brahmin state, where you become part of the all-existence of the universe, then... You're living in a universe that is dying. You're living in a universe that's already on its way to perishing. So what then? What happens when the universe perishes? Well, what happens is, is that you would perish too. You and your state of Brahman. All that work that you achieved. All that work that you put in to achieving that state. All that you gave up. All that you sacrificed will have meant nothing. Because it all gets destroyed and wiped out anyways. 
because there's nothing to add to the universe. There's nothing to save it. All you're doing is just, you're just stacking what's already there. You're not adding any other source of external energy to keep the entropy from destroying the world and the universe as we know it. So that's why Buddhism, or that's not Buddhism, that's why uh, Hinduism, it, it can't work like that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Next up is Buddhism. Yeah, Buddhism. This is the fun one. According to LondonBuddhistVihara.org, Nirvana, we all have heard of Nirvana, by the way, is not a realm of existence. Nirvana literally means blowing out. Blowing out the causes that produce results in the cycle of life. Hence, there will be no rebirth. Nirvana cannot, nirvana cannot be described in terms of our normal experience, which is so limited. Nirvana is not subject to the law of cause and effect, therefore, it is not permanent. Nirvana is a state to, att to be attained whilst we still are alive. It is not something we reach after death. Let me repeat that one more time. It is not something we reach after death. It is to be attained as a result of our own efforts, not from the judgment of a divine being. This first and foremost largest issue with this ideology is that it is completely tied to the material world in the sense that nirvana can only be achieved whilst alive, and if one dies before nirvana is achieved, one is therefore reborn into another living being over and over again perpetually. However, this can't be, because when the heat death of the universe comes, and it's coming for you, trust me there, what's going to happen? When all the living beings are dead, what's going to happen is that nirvana can no longer be achieved and those who are in nirvana cease to exist. That's what happens when nirvana is achieved and the heat death of the universe finally catches up. Because the very nature of nirvana is not a permanent one. It is only permanent if the person who has achieved said nirvana is alive. But if you die, there's nothing to there's nothing to sustain you in that life. There's nothing to keep you there. Because your corpse has ceased to exist. It's vapid and destroyed. It has no value, no purpose, no meaning. It's dead and gone, just like everything else. So that's a big problem. That's one of the reasons why Hinduism and Buddhism, very similarly, don't work. Likewise, if you go even to the to the New Age spiritualism, the crystals and the tarot cards, and ooh, we're all into the spiritual ooh woo by astrology. That's a problem. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before I go ahead and start poo-pooing on you know spiritualism, I just want to let you know that I'm not hating on these people. I don't think they're bad people. In fact, I have quite a few friends who do follow certain things, such as this. I don't treat them any differently, and I don't think we should. Not like that, because I think that if we just go and treat people as if they should be you know, looked at as, you know, wrong and bad, that what kind of people are we being? We're being bad people, so we're being if we do that. So don't treat people like trash, and don't put them down for what they feel like. See, what I'm doing, I'm not attacking people. I'm attacking the idea. 
because I don't agree with the idea. But I like the people. See the thing? So, that being said, spiritualism. Spiritualism is very much linked to the universe. A lot of astrologists get in there, you know, with the signs. And those are supposed to be traits that define you and all that and whatever. And you can get into all the other type of stuff, too, with spiritualism. where We're all one. We're all part of the universe. There's this big, huge thing going on. And, you know, that's that's the big secret is that we're all part of it. And we're all one under this big, 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 big banner. But here's the problem. If we came from the universe and we're all part of the universe and the universe is quote unquote our God and we are all gods in said universe, the direction of said universe from the very moment of time, from when time first started, is destined for death, is destined to be just destroyed in a vapid, empty wasteland of a black hole ridden or, or a land that was once full of black holes that is now just a vapid, hot expanse of nothing. Like, that's the end goal of the universe, if left unchecked. And so if we're all part of this universe, why would we have hope? Why would that be instilled in us to hope, to try to live, to try to survive, to try to be good people? We wouldn't. It doesn't make any sense. Because if you're part of something, it's a piece of you, then you're going to feel where it's coming from. You're going to feel the direction, you know, you're going to have an understanding with it. But if the understanding innately is that it's going to die, it's going to be destroyed. There's nothing left. There's nothing left for you to hope in. And then likewise as well, it does not do anything to stop the heat death of the universe. Believing in spiritualism, all it does is just embrace it, I guess, in which case, basically, it's just atheism with extra steps. So why believe in it? If it's just atheism with extra steps, why believe in the spiritualism aspect of it? Unless you think it's true, which, I mean, there's lots of evidence to suggest it's not true that I could get into it a completely other time. But for now, for now, let's just look at the basic general idea of it, right? You know, so is it true? I don't think so. I don't think it's true because I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it's a satisfying belief system. And I don't think it explains where we get our morals, where we get our ideas from in terms of things that are going to help the future to be better. And I don't believe that it even explains hope or desire or any of that. All it explains is the fact that we're here and just doesn't matter, man. Just, just, be groovy, baby. I don't know. <laughs> That's not enough for me, though. I need something to explain what's happening. And I believe that's why the monotheistic God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, I think that he is the true God. And I think he's true as opposed to monothe or polytheism or as opposed to, you know, just the idea that we're all the universe, that we're all supposedly, quote unquote, God. I think the reason is because it says that God is going to return to his people in the Bible. It says that he's going to return to his people that he chose, that he created. And he is going to establish his kingdom on this earth. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, as I described earlier. So that's new celestial bodies. He's going to stop entropy because he is an unlimited source of power. He's freaking God, man. Come on. 
Like, he is freaking God. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that any clearer. I don't think I can. He is all-powerful. He created the universe. And he's going to dwell here with us. And that is going to save off all entropy forever. It's the only satisfying answer. The only satisfying thing that I can think of that makes sense scientifically, logically, theologically, philosophically. That's the only thing that I can think of. And that's why I believe that monotheism must be true. Of course, then one must go down and try to, you know, basically prove why the God of the Bible, the God of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if he is the true God as opposed to Islam or whatever. That, however, is for a different day. This is all I've got for today. It's a basic explanation from a scientific perspective of why, why, why things are the way they are and where we will be going. And so I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I had a lot of fun making it. I hope you guys heard me laughing a whole bunch because, you know, I like to get into it and it feels good. So I hope that you guys also have a great rest of your day, that you keep exploring these new concepts and ideas for yourself that you go and look into all this stuff for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Find out for yourself. It's really cool. Then you can be a nerd and a geek like me. And like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's cool though. So anyways, y'all have a great rest of your day and peace out.